With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com national editor Matt Myers. On today's show, we're going to talk about what the Mariners should do. We're going to look at some StatCast data for Edwin Diaz. We're going to do the same for Carlos Santana, who appears to be on the trading block. We're going to dig into some really interesting StatCast speed numbers for some over 30 veteran free agents. I think that's really interesting. And finally, we're going to end up with Daniel Murphy, who had a great article on our site from Matt Kelly about why he might be a fit for the Yankees. We are going to talk about that. Matt, we're going to start with the Seattle Mariners, who've already made one trade, and uh, just based on what we know about Jerry DePoto, may have made a trade while we're talking on the show here. Mike Zanino is a Tampa Bay Ray, and seems like James Paxton's going to get traded any second. But you're more interested in Edwin Diaz. Tell me why. Well, I'm just interested in them in general, because I think that they I'll get back to the second. I think they probably should just kind of blow it up. And if they trade Paxton, they're kind of saying that they kind of want to blow it up. And if you're going to trade Paxton, I kind of feel like maybe you should trade Diaz too. I'm not entirely sure I agree with that premise. So let's start with the Mariners, right? They won 89 games last year. It was the most that they have won since 2003. Uh, if you just look at that, you say, hey, that's a that's a pretty good season. You build on that. But that doesn't really mean that they are viewed as an 89-win team going forward, because as many of our listeners probably know, they were outscored by 34 runs last year. That makes uh, the equivalent of a 77-85 and 85 season. Uh, very famously, they got off to a fantastic start, 58-39 and 39 in the first half. Everybody on planet Earth screamed that was not sustainable because they were getting outscored, and they went 31-34 and 34 in the second half. Now, obviously, part of the reason they didn't get to the wild card is because the A's and Rays both played out of their minds, but still. The Mariners are a 500-ish team or maybe slightly below because when you look at this team right now, I see four very good players, right? Paxton, Diaz, uh, Mitch Hanniger, and John Segura. I also see about $100 million owed this upcoming season to Felix Hernandez, D. Gordon, Kyle Seeger, Robinson Cano, and Mike Leake, who are various flavors of untradeable. So I think we agree that they are not in the same league as the Astros in the West, probably not in the same league as the A's. Slightly worse than the Angels, I would think. And that is certainly an argument for doing what you're saying. But also, I'm not sure that they've got the right pieces for it. Like, you can't trade any of those guys I just talked about. You can trade Paxton and Diaz, and you'll get some pieces back because they arguably have the weakest farm system in baseball. Um, But I don't know. It's like, is it worth resetting the clock for like five more years for what may not be enough to actually do that? That's You prefer not to have teams do this if you don't have to, I guess. I mean, the problem is that, like, their best hitter last year was Nelson Cruz. Oh, he's gone. He's gone. Oh, he's probably gone. He's he's a free agent. I guess they could bring him back. So it's like that's the other thing you kind of have to remember about them is, like, part of a big part of their success last year was Cruz, and he's currently a free agent. So, like, just if you want to, like, maybe even, like, keep the band together, so to speak. And I'm I'm pretty confident he can be a, a factor again at the plate, despite his, his Yeah, we his talked age. about him a couple yeah. weeks ago, for sure. But that said, like he's still at risk even if you bring him back, given given his age. And so like you bring him back and then there is an argument, I think the one argument you can make is they can say like we'll trade Paxton, but then go sign J Hap. So we'll actually try and maybe trade Paxton to sort of like 
supplement the roster right now. Like get, get us a, get us some help right now. Resign Cruz and then go sign like someone like Hap and feel like maybe we actually can credibly fill the Paxton spot. Because the reason I want to trade Paxton is because I just don't trust him to stay healthy. Fair. And th- that you actually could get a decent pack. He's got two years left, team control, reasonable price, you know. So, yes, there's a, a way you could trade Paxton and still win now. But I sort of just think that just let's but, just get weird. But, well, I am. First of all, I'm always here for teams getting weird. Very much so. But I don't think that's what they're going to do necessarily. And I think part of that is because. You know, if you're Jerry Depoto and you blow it up and you say we're looking to win five years from now, what are the odds that he's still in that job five years from now? You know, I don't think that that's something that he would he would take that approach for. But also, if you look at the Zunino trade, they traded two years of Zunino, leaving them without a starting catcher. Name a Mariners catcher is a very fun game right now. And in return, they got uh, four years of Malik Smith, right? And they also traded her idea and there were two minor leaguers. Fine. But the, I, I guess the point is that they were trading for a ready now player, right? They're not... They didn't trade Zunino for, you know, single-A guys. They traded for someone who will help them both in 2019 and for more years in the future. And I kind of think that's the way they would approach this. Like, if they traded Paxton like you're talking about, um, they would probably want ready-now-ish players. Like, I don't know, Clint Frazier. Now, you can differ on what you think Clint Frazier is, but I sort of feel like that's the approach. It's like a soft rebuild. Because I I think you're right, but I also don't think that they're going to, like, try to go ahead next year as like the marlins did last year I, that doesn't seem likely to me but what if they did what if they decided to trade edwin diaz what do you like like they're actually a fair the, the 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 argument against it is basically that there's a lot of there's a ton of like good relievers on the free agent market and so that like but are know, there any great relievers I guess it depends on, I mean you would argue probably adam Adovino is a i love player. adam Adovino. um kimbrell is the biggest name but I think it's fair that he's taken a little bit of a step back. It seems like, you know, more more walks, more home runs allowed. It doesn't seem like the same guy he was a couple years ago when he was the last big-name closer traded in the offseason. He was actually traded uh, after 2015 when he had three seasons of control remaining to the Red Sox for Manny Margot, Javi Guerra, Carlos Asuaje, and Logan Allen. So Margot was the number 25 prospect in baseball. Guerra was the number 76 prospect. That seems like kind of a similar package you get for Edwin Diaz. If you weren't paying attention to Edwin Diaz this year, he was amazingly, insanely good. 73 games, 73 to third innings, a 196 ERA, and a 161 FIP. Now listen to this. 124 strikeouts, 17 walks, which is an absurd number. Um, I actually looked, I went back to the dawn of modern baseball, so 1920. Obviously, this list I'm about to present is incredibly biased towards the present day because of strikeouts and relievers, but whatever. There have been 21,000, more than 21,000 seasons where a pitcher has thrown at least 50 innings. And I looked at the largest gaps between strikeout rate and walk rate. So last year, DS struck out 44% of hitters and he walked 6%, the difference there being 38%. In all of those 21,000 plus seasons, that difference of 38% was the seventh best in baseball history. Unsurprisingly, you can probably guess some of the other names. Kimbrell's above there twice. Miller in 2016. Chapman. Gagne in 2003. Kenley Jansen in 2017. And Edwin Diaz. So you can seriously say he had one of the greatest release seasons in the history of baseball. He does it throwing two pitches, 63% four seam, 37% slider. And if you look at our favorite stack cast metric, expected weighted on base, nearly 300 relievers last year faced at least 100 hitters. He had the third best expected weighted on base, Sean Doolittle, number one. Would you believe Jose Leclerc, number two? Yeah. In Texas? We talked about him. He had like, like the high spin, high the third, be, the spin. third best like OPS against yeah. ever against, by like right. a reliever. We talked about him last year because he was a guy who had like had a pretty good year and is like the second best four seam spin, whatever. And clearly he was great. He should We should be talking about him separately, I think. Um, but anyway, 
Edwin Diaz is unquestionably an elite reliever based on either stack S metrics or advanced metrics or even saves if you still care about that for some reason. And he is under control for four more seasons. So I guess the argument is you couldn't possibly expect more from him than you had last year. And it still wasn't enough for Seattle. So you're suggesting to trade him at his peak value before decline. I mean, he's kind of young, obviously. We're not saying he's going to decline, but it's more just like looking at the roster, as we said before, it's like they don't have a catcher, they don't have Nelson Cruz. They don't have a left fielder. They don't have, like, what, how are they going to improve on 89 wins? Most likely they're going to take a huge step back. I mean, are they going to go out and sign Ramos or Grandal to catch? They got to sign somebody. Yeah, so it, I'm saying, like, it can't so, like, be David Friedas. As you know, so started. it's sort of like, so what, what it's the way they are, the, the roster I see right now is much more of a rebuild roster. Like, let's rebuild and just blow it up and sort of say, like, hey, like, this didn't really work with this group. I guess, as you said, there's sort of this conflict because, like, if they rebuild now, you're taking a big chance if you're the GM that like you won't be around as to see the uh, the fruits of the the moves you're making now. But it, the roster is pretty. They're they're kind of scary. They're not an 89 win team. I guess that's the thing that's hard for people to understand. They did win that many games last year, but you don't approach the upcoming season as though they won 89 games. You look at the talent level as like yeah, it's 77 ish, depending on how you feel about Seager bouncing back or Felix Hernandez the, being even able to pitch. The Twins were 78 and 84. We're minus thirty-seven run differential. The Mariners were minus thirty-four. Basically, right. they basically had the same run differential as the Twins and the Mets. Right, and that's that's what you're looking at uh, going forward to the upcoming season. Uh, so, where do you? The thing is, if you're going to trade Diaz, there are so many teams who would trade for him. Because you're right, you look at the the relief pitchers. I mean, he's immediately the top pitcher available. Although you have to give up if prospects. We assume, if we assume he's available, well, we're right. If he's, yeah. but you know, then you have to give up prospects, not just money. And you might just prefer to only just give up money for like Adovino or Kimbrel. But um, man, think about the teams who'd be interested in this. The Cardinals, right? They had a huge bullpen mess. And it feels like Carson Kelly has been blocked forever, and we Ooh. know we know Seattle needs a catcher, right? And it's not a one for one. Um, they've got a lot of young pitchers. Maybe like a Dakota Hudson type would be interesting. It's impossible to come up with these trade ideas because you know it's always going to be like five guys on on both sides yeah. that it's impossible but um the dodgers make a lot of sense think about alex verdugo who has just never had a place to play and uh, maybe one of their young catchers will smith or, or Cabert ruiz or dustin may or shortstop gavin lux um the cubs their bullpen was not good last year right they could use a pitcher like that is this how kyle schwarber finally gets to the american league <laughs> i think we've talked about kyle schwarber we've traded kyle schwarber so many times on this podcast if At he least. ever if he ever does get traded we have to do an emergency pod yes like the, the <laughs> it happened it happened <laughs> especially if it's for carlos carrasco which is a move we've been calling for like for two years um i think the braves make a lot of sense they could definitely use some bullpen help and they've got a ton of young pitching right is it like kyle wright or tuki tucson i think like they're bringing, i think they're bringing kimberl back I actually like that idea a lot. I think, I think, it just, I think makes, that makes a lot of sense. I think it just makes a lot of sense. They've got they've got some payroll flexibility. I love it. He's beloved there. Like I they love need it. a closer. It just feels. And then we can all bring back that screenshot of him in the bullpen with his hands on his hips. It'll be great. I love everything about that. Um, I also want to throw out the Phillies as an interesting idea. We know they want to improve as well. They could use some bullpen help. They've got some extra outfielders. Maybe like you know, I don't think Nick Williams is a centerpiece necessarily, but he's like a guy that they might be interested in. They've got oh, some young pitching. Scott Kingery, I don't know. They probably aren't going to give up on Scott Kingery. Anyway, the point being, almost any contending team would be interested in Edwin Diaz. Oh, and the Yankees. Maybe they could, maybe, maybe, they, we'll, we'll, they, get, we'll get the Carlos Santana later. Maybe Carlos Santana can go play. Carlos Santana. <laughs> also, the Yankees, they don't really need him, but um, it sure feels like they're going to trade Clint Frazier at some point. Justice Sheffield, uh, maybe Florio. There's fits. I feel like that's that's almost that, that's the Paxton fit right there. Yes. Is What if they trade for both? Head explode emoji. 
That would be awesome. Uh, so you brought up Carlos Santana. Let's talk about Carlos Santana. The Phillies uh, reportedly are trying to shop Carlos Santana for pretty obvious reasons. Which we've, we've talked about ad nauseum. Yeah. He's a bad fan on that roster with Reese Hoskins being forced to play left field. Right. The defense last year was awful. Reese Hoskins can't play the outfield through no fault of his own. It's not what he is built for. Uh, and the offense was not good last year. Philadelphia's offense was 21st in runs scored, 23rd in shrugging, 18th in on-base percentage, shrugging, slugging, whatever. It wasn't good. I would argue they don't have to trade Santana because he was basically tied with uh, Hoskins and Cesar Hernandez for their best on-base percentage. And if you are a bad offense, you don't want to subtract good hitters. You could probably come up with a job share where Santana plays a little bit of third and a little bit of first, and Hoskins only has to play the outfield like once a week. Uh, But I will admit that is not likely. Anyway, here's the question. Is Santana still a good player? I know many, many Phillies fans would argue he is not because he hit 229 last year, the lowest of his career. As you can imagine, we do not care about that. Now, it is fair to say that Santana had a pretty awful first impression with his new team in Philadelphia in April. He hit 153, 295 on base, a 276 slugging. It was quite literally the worst month of his entire career. That's a heck of an introduction to your new team. Uh, but as we wrote about and probably talked about at the time, he was still hitting the ball really hard. He had a 264 weighted on base and a 374 expected weighted on base. That's a gap of 110 points in April the largest of 370 hitters with at least 20 plate appearances. So he's still hitting the ball with authority. This is pretty fun. After May 1st, he had a 364 slugging uh, on base and a 444 slugging. So that's a 119 weighted runs created plus. Okay, that's after May 1st. For his career, 363 and 442, a 121 weighted runs created plus. For this upcoming season, Steamer projects 359 and 445, a 119 weighted runs created plus. I don't want to say ignore April entirely, but ignore April entirely. He was the same guy. Like that. That should not meaningfully change, you know, your perception of what Carlos Santana is. Did you know he walked 110 times last year? Did I? Did I tell you this? I thought this was fun. He had 110 walks and only 93 strikeouts. Only three other players had at least 400 plate appearances and more walks than strikeouts. Do you know who they are? Joey Votto, Alex Bregman, Jose Ramirez. That is a fun list to be on. That is the, the he had the quietest 110 walk season. Not that big walk seasons are necessarily loud, but like I had no idea he walked 110 times last. Yeah, year. I mean, I, I think part of the issue was you know obviously walks are great, but you know before he got to the Phillies, his career slugging percentage was 445, and with the Phillies it was 414. Uh, so that's a problem. But he ended up with the same or nearly same expected weighted on base as Reese Hoskins, Trevor Story, Schwarber, Andrew Benatendi. I guess my point here is that. Um, I think a lot of Phillies fans kind of hate him, and you are right. He may not be a good fit for that roster. He's still a good player. I think you, if he was a good player before the Phillies, he still is now. And, um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, you know, he's a first-base DH type who's over 30, and those guys haven't done well on the market or in trade. Do you know who the best free agent first baseman is right now? Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce. Now, I love Steve Pierce more than anybody should love Steve Pierce. He's going to be 36, and he's never had 400 plate appearances in a season. I don't think he's anybody's starter next year. No. So if you want a first baseman, you're trading for Paul Goldschmidt, who's better, but it's going to cost way more. Or, I don't know, maybe Jose Abreu if he's available. Maybe Justin Smoke if he's available. I don't know. Uh, Or maybe Carlos Santana. He is projected by Steamer to be the 12th best first baseman in 2019, which makes sense to me. That's like slightly above average. I'll buy that. And uh, so I kind of took all this, and I said, well, where could he fit? He's got two years remaining. About $35 million. Again, the Phillies could just keep him and, and move him. They have the money and they have the need for good players. Um, but I looked at four places I thought he could fit. You will not be surprised 
that my number one place was Colorado. We've been trying to get Colorado a good first baseman for about three years now. Uh, They had the third weakest first base production last year, thanks to Ian Desmond, who really should be a backup playing many positions. Steamer projects them to be the fourth weakest this upcoming year. Ryan McMahon is ready, uh, but he hasn't shown much, and he's a lefty who can also play second and third. It's easy to find a job share. Santana's a switch hitter. You can make that work. They're not going to do that, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. The Rockies seem happy at first base for some reason. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, the Twins the twins had the third weakest first base DH production this last season, and now Joe Mara's retired and Logan Morrison's a free agent. Tyler Austin looked good, but unproven. That makes a lot of sense. I could see that fit. Uh, the Seattle Mariners, as we just talked about, Ryan Healy was a mess last year. I don't know why they didn't give Dan Vogelbach a shot. Santana would fit there if they're going to try to you know still compete this year. Yeah, they wouldn't even need to really. They could probably get it without. They could if the, if the if Mariners wanted to win next year, they could get Santana without having to give up a, st- a star. Yes, oh, if they're willing to take on some salary. Oh, absolutely. And finally, um, the Angels. You've listen. You've got two more years of Mike Trout before if you can't extend him, which they absolutely should try to. Twenty nineteen first baseman at Steamer are projected to be the second worst in baseball. Otani at DH cut Pujols, put Santana at first base. I know it's not going to happen. You know it's not going to happen. I've been saying this for like a year and a half. Pay Pujols, but pay him to do literally anything else but play first base for you. Well, the thing, the, the, the date to mark on the calendar is June 21st. I know where you're going with That's this. That's when the Angels go to St. Louis. I know. Um, and the timing might actually work out pretty well because there's a good chance Otani won't be ready for opening day. Sure. And might miss the first you know month or two of the season. That's true. So they'll keep their pools will be around until he gets to play in St. Louis again. The question is after that, that'll be the first time he's gone back to St. Louis as a member of the visiting team since he left after the 2011 season. Um, that date has been circled on the calendar for Cardinals fans for a long time. It's going to probably be a very cool homecoming. Um, the thing is that it's going to be hard for the angels to carry Otani and Pujols on the same roster once Otani is healthy next year, because Otani needs to be playing and needs to be DHing every single day. And you're either committing yourself, then you're committing yourself to pools, hurting you on offense and on defense at first base. And at some point, they think they just kind of have to probably cut the bait. Right. And that point was a year and a half ago, I think. But you're right. He will remain through there. Anyway, those are the good fits for Carlos Santana. And the main takeaway here is ignore his first month mostly. And he's really the same guy he was, which has always been underappreciated. High OBP. Decent slugging, low batting average. Uh, he was shifted 85% of the time last year. That was, I believe, the third most of any regular left-handed hitter. As we progress into the free agent market, I thought this was kind of cool. We dug deep into some of the StatCast data here, looking at speed, and speed uh, specifically measured by sprint speed, which we measure as feet per second in a player's fastest one-second window, and specifically to the 30 age 30 in older players. As we saw last winter, uh, those players had a tougher time in free agency and really just in the game. Like the game is trending younger. Last winter, I wrote uh, that, you know, in 2017, players aged 30 and older took about 69,000 plate appearances. Back in 2000, players aged 30 and older took 86,000 plate appearances. It's just the trend of the game. In 2000, uh, players who were 30 and older contributed 43% of all wins above replacement. In 2017, 32%. This is unsurprising to anybody. Uh, and also, sprint speed or you know speed tends to peak younger when we introduced this last year i noted that 80 uh, percent of players who were 27 and younger had an above average sprint speed and when you get up to 33 and older it was 15 percent. none of this should be surprising to anybody so i found um, a couple of players out there and i thought it'd be interesting to look at 
their trends, their speed trends. And it's not necessarily that we care how fast, let's say, Daniel Murphy runs, uh, but it could tell you maybe a little bit about their health. Like this is sort of the underlying trends. We talked about this, I think, with Josh Donaldson and uh, with Matt Kemp early in the year when he was crushing and insisted he'd lost all the weight. And it turned out, hey, maybe that was true. The most interesting guy to me is Moustakis. And uh, I thought, you know, last year, Moustakis got that one-year deal that was kind of stunning to everybody. And Ken Rosenthal, in the very beginning of 2018 in April, wrote that Moustakis knows the perception that he was not in top condition might have been a contributing factor in the limited interest he received as a free agent. But Moustakis addressed that criticism by getting into better shape, and GM Dayton Moore spoke excitedly last week about the Slugger's off-season work, saying he's running as well as he ever has. That's cool. And it turns out, it's true. We can measure this thing now. Mike Moustakis added more speed than anybody from 27 to 2018, and it seems to me there's a pretty clear reason why. Obviously, in 2016, he blew out his knee after only 27 games, and in 2017, he uh, missed some time. He dealt with continued knee source, no soreness the entire season. So uh, if we just look at the percentile rankings in 2015, the first year, he was 29th percentile in speed, which makes sense. He was never that fast. In 2016, he was 15th percentile even before he got hurt. In 2017, it was ninth percentile. That's below average even for catchers. That is truly dreadfully slow. And in 2018, that's back up to the 26th percentile. It's kind of, it's back where he was, you know? So he added more speed. It didn't actually help his bat. His slugging dropped. Uh, but if you look at defensive runs saved, he went from minus eight to plus two. And if you look at his month by month speed, uh, his peak speed for each month was in the you know 27 to 28 range and his average speed was in the 25 to 26 range the year before it was all over the place from 21 to 25 so it shows me it seems to me the knee is healthier maybe he's a little more agile at third base he actually stole four bases last year which for him is a big deal uh, didn't help the bat but the premise here which i hope you agree with is that if the year before teams looked at a guy who was maybe not healthy and maybe not in the best shape and he worked on that, it seems like the data actually shows that. And he's also, got that to show. And he also, he's, he's had that show. He wanted the qualifying offer, which, well, doesn't really, isn't as much of a hindrance as it might have been under the previous CBA, still can affect a player. I think it had a factor on him last year. There'll be a market for him. I think the Braves could be a fit. Yeah, I think the problem for him is, so this is cool, right? He can go out and say, hey, if this was an issue last year, look what the data says. I got faster, I, I'm maybe a little better at third base. That's great. He was still uh, the 17th best third baseman by wins above replacement, which, yeah, about average-ish to me. That's tough because third base is so stacked right now. There are yeah. so many good third basemen. And I kind of look at him still as like an average-ish third baseman. He's got power, uh, low OBP, fielding is okay. You know, if you need a solid starter, for a year or two. Yeah, I could see the Braves doing that unless they want, I don't know, did, is Camargo worse than it's, him? It's sort of like, you know. Austin Riley's there? Like, yeah, but I, I don't think he's going to get much more than a one-year deal again. No, I, I yeah, maybe one with an option or two. Yeah. I think you're right. There's just, there's not a lot of teams that need a third baseman. Indians, maybe? Uh, I would prefer to see Yandy Diaz play. Of course, but of course you would. Right? Uh, I don't know, the Angels, like, are you really invested in uh, David Fletcher? Or I guess he's going to, Maybe Cozart's going to play there. I forget how I that's going to shake out. Theoretically, like yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're right. And Donaldson, I think, is probably a better bet for teams interested in third baseman. And maybe Adrian Beltre comes back. We don't know if he's going to retire yet. Uh, so that was cool. Brian Dozier kind of went the other way. Now Brian Dozier uh, had had five straight average or better seasons and actually received some down ballot MVP support in each of the previous three seasons. Last year, not so good. Hit two fifteen, three oh five, three ninety one. An 88 OPS plus, about the same as Tim Anderson or Freddie Galvis. Not so great. And basically looked unplayable and for the Dodgers in the postseason. That's, and he basically was. And until, first, they, until they let him off in two Twice. Games. <laughs> for <laughs> some reason, they let him. I, that, that 
is a totally you, separate government. Are you try not to like let the it's 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 natural in October to sort of let 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 the eye test really like lead you to extreme places where you're like, oh, like this guy's terrible, bench him until he hits a home run. You're like, oh, maybe he's not so bad. Yeah. But like the eye test for Dozier in October was this guy should not be playing at all. Here's a quote from the Los Angeles Times in September. It's been a struggle, Dozier said. I've had a knee issue since the beginning of the year. Well, that explains some things, right? And if you look at his sprint speed rankings in 2015 and 2016, he was in the 73rd and 71st percentile. That actually dropped a little bit in 2017 to the 54th because he reportedly had a sore back last year down to the 47th percentile. And it's pretty clear if you look at his monthly rankings, the knee was an issue. Now, I think... As far as I know, he's not scheduled for surgery, so I don't know if the knee is just going to heal by itself. If it does, and you can just point to that, he's been a really good player for a long time. Like last year, not so good, but if he can say, hey, I'm healthy, I'm that guy again, he's not going to get more than a one-year deal because there's a lot of second basemen out there. He's kind of a sneaky value if you think he's healthy. He's a he's a, a fantastic buy-low candidate. I'm not sure I trust him, but like he's a fantastic buy-low candidate. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough for him because he's out there with LeMayhew. Uh, Jed Lowry's Lowry, out there. Murphy, if you if, see him as second baseman. So I don't know where he's going to end up, but yeah, if you you know you get him for a one year deal for a couple million dollars, if you think he's healthy, uh, this is a guy who's been a good second baseman before and obviously has power. I found this one interesting because there was no trend here. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon, right? He's turned thirty two and he was shockingly durable. I did not realize till I looked this up. He's taken six hundred and forty plate appearances every full year of his career, dating back to. 2010 even that year he broke his ribs remember he still had 640 plate appearances good on you coach last year uh was his first year out of center field uh we we considered him a right fielder only two regular right fielder travis jankowski and avisel garcia were faster than him and if you look at his sprint speed rankings amazingly consistent uh, in the four years of Statcast, he has ranked <clears throat> every year between the 87th percentile and the 88th percentile and i thought this was kind of fun his fastest sprint speed uh, of 2018 was the second we've had on record for him in the last four years. It was September 1st. He grounded out. He got to 30.6 feet per second, where 27 is average. That was his Yankee debut. That was his fastest run of the entire year was him trying to beat out a grounder in his first game for a new team, which I thought was cool. Like That's a good example of the data uh, matching up with a story, and he has been exactly uh, consistent. There's, there hasn't been a decline here yet, apparently. I mean, the bat maybe a little bit, but... Well, I don't know. The same expected weighted on base as Jose Ramirez, Xander Bogarts, Matt Olson. No, he's not the MVP Kachi used to be. Uh, last year, 368 on base, 424 slugging, a 118 OPS plus. And he's kind of been that guy for like the last three years. I would definitely take Andrew McCutcheon as a good bet for the next like year or two. He's not a center fielder anymore. He's not an MVP anymore. But I don't look at him as a guy in decline the same way I kind of do like Adam Jones. You know what I mean? For sure. He's, I mean, he's a couple years younger. He's 31. That's, so, well, he just turned 32. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, yeah. Sorry. Just played stage 31 season. So, uh, I've said he should end up on the Cleveland. Indians. Cleveland. That seems like a no- To me, that's... Let's take it to the bank. Here's what my notes say. Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland. Maybe Colorado or Atlanta, but Cleveland. I'm fully in agreement on you. Yeah, they need they need outfielders. He won't be crazy expensive. Like, he's just... He's just kind of just a classic, just like a pro. Yeah. If it, just, it just like fits that roster. I don't love him in Colorado. Granted, they don't seem to be that concerned about their outfield defense, but I don't love him in that huge outfield. Atlanta, I could see. Colorado just seems like, especially if they're going to insist on playing Blackman in center. Well, under this scenario, I was sort of thinking Dahl in center and Blackman in the other corner. Okay, interesting. But you're, I agree with you. That's probably not likely to happen. And finally, uh, Daniel Murphy, who did you realize he stole 23 bases one year? For the 2013 Mets, I he, completely forgot about that. He had that. like a run 
where he's like had this crazy run of efficiency. I remember where he he was like successful over the span of like two seasons. Yeah, where he was like the successful on like like twenty nine or thirty consecutive attempts. He was very he was very efficient for a while, and then he would mix in also making like ridiculous base running blunders. Right, so you couldn't really tell who he was. Uh, I don't need to remind the listeners of the show about the rebirth of Daniel Murphy. Obviously, in 2016 and 2017, he was one of the 20 best hitters in baseball, a 375 on base, a 542 slugging. He was one of the guys we talk about a lot who really took advantage of the data to try to find where he was best, you know, pulling the ball in the air to right field. And if you were to look at his numbers from 2018, uh, that's that on base dropped from 375 to 336. The slugging dropped from 542 to 454. It doesn't quite match up. However, he didn't make his debut until June 12th after microfracture knee surgery. And in June, he hit 200. 231, 240, literally the worst month of his entire career. Uh, but from July 1st on, 317, 355, 493, really good. One of the 40 best hitters in baseball from that time on, up there with guys like Reese Hoskins, Edwin Encarnacion. And if you were to look at his monthly and uh, monthly peak and average sprint speed, you would see that in that June, it dropped by a good, let's see, let me look at my little sheet here, uh, like three feet per second for that month. So whether he wasn't healthy yet, whether he was favoring the knee, I don't know. Um, but it really progressed each month after kind of getting back up to his normal like average of 26, peak of 28. That gets him sort of back to where he was. And that gives me some confidence that you cannot really worry too much about those few weeks of June uh, where he was terrible. His two fastest speeds of the season both came in late September where he beat out infield hits to shortstop. Uh, so that's kind of a cool story. Murphy was never fast, but the data shows that the knee seemed to allow him to be faster as the year went on. And our Matt Kelly wrote five reasons the Yankees should sign Daniel Murphy. I like Murphy as a fit. I think for a lot of teams, if you don't look at him as an everyday first uh, second baseman, so like a first base, second base, DH kind of hybrid, I could see that in Cleveland too a little bit, I think. Uh, but he likes the Yankees. Are you in on the Yankees for Daniel Murphy? Totally. Because he's, he's, he gives you insurance. He gives you kind of Gregorius insurance. Because he allows basically Gregorius is going to miss the first couple months recovering from Tommy John surgery, so presumably Glaber Torres is going to go play shortstop, his natural position. In which case, Murphy can fill in at second base, right? I wouldn't want him necessarily playing every day, but he can still play there, you know, four out of every seven games, depending on the pitcher and the matchup and all that. Or you can have him as insurance at first base because, like, at this point, you can't have much faith in Greg Bird and Luke Voigt. As good as he was, do we really believe that, like, you know? it's as likely that he's like Kevin Moss 2.0 as he is like, you know, late bloomer superstar extraordinaire. So like you have to hedge your bet a little bit. Murphy kind of allows you to do both. You know, when I was a kid, I saw two of Kevin Moss's first four career home runs in person before we knew Kevin Moss was going to be a thing. Uh, if I can recycle a joke I made around the office yesterday, you're describing Neil Walker, but good, right? This was the Neil Walker role from last year and it didn't really work out. He didn't have a very good year up until later in the season. Uh, but it, it's it's perfect because you're right. Like I don't know that Bird is even on the roster next year, and you have to let Voight hit, but who knows how that's going to be. Um, Matt Kelly, who wrote the story, had some interesting points about Daniel Murphy. He is a pull home run hitter. Since 2015, since the All-Star break of that year, he has pulled 53 of his 69 home runs. And uh, in the la in 2016 and 2017, only 10 lefty hitters recorded a higher rate of pulled fly balls and line drives and he hit 642 on those balls. I don't know about you, but Yankee Stadium feels like the kind of place that a guy like that would thrive. I mean, that's the D.D. Gregorius story, really. And I, just the idea of Murphy like taking aim at that porch in Yankee Stadium sounds amazing to me. I love that. Now, here's my concern about him. Now, I did just say that after a terrible June, he came back and hit really well from July 1st on. And that's true. But the underlying data is still a little 
concerning, right? His hard hit rate in each of the previous years was 40, 41%. This year it was 28%. Now that got up to 34% in August, but that's still down from where it was. And part of it's the pull percentage. Each of the previous three years, the pull percentage was 41, 40, 39. This year it was 34%. Again, I don't know if it was just the knee not allowing him to turn on it. That it's very possible that a full winter of rest will kind of get him back where he was. I love the idea of gambling on him. I still have a little bit of concern just based on what we saw even after he came back. I think it's because I think for the Yankees it's kind of low risk. It's like low risk but pretty high reward. You also get the added benefit of maybe getting just like to tweak the Mets a little bit if like you know Mur- they get Murphy like on a on a reasonable deal and he like ends up being like a you know like a, a, a having like a, a, a maybe not star level season but a good season for for the I, Yankees. You know you can't you can't discount that as a factor. That's the level of petty I aspire to. I really I appreciate that. I know when you're signing a Daniel Murphy, you don't worry about defense too much, but. Would you be concerned about that? Think about the infield you're rolling out now, right? Uh, Andujar is not a good third baseman, clearly. Torres is probably a downgrade from Gregorius at shortstop, I would think. Now you have Murphy at second base, and, you know, I guess Voight's okay at first, but that is not a strong group. Like, that's that's rough to me. Yeah, but, you 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 know, you, you look at the, the sort of— because the Yankees are going to bring in some starters, right? So you have, sort of have to think of— Starting pitchers. Starting yeah. pitchers. But, like, even, like, who they have— Severino and Tanaka, two high strikeout guys. Tanaka's high strikeout, high fly ball. So, like, you can kind of know that, like, maybe infield defense, you don't necessarily have to prioritize as much when he's on the mound. What like, do you do on Sabathia Day? I mean, even Sabathia probably gives up. I mean, like, I have to look at, I should look at the spray chart, but, like, I feel like he probably gives up a lot of ground balls to the left side, not the right side against right handed batters. So, so, I don't know. Maybe you bring back uh, Hechevaria as, as a backup, you know, to play third. I'm days. just saying that there's ways to kind of, like, to, to hide. Murphy a little bit. We could you could still play him at second base. We're not really exposing him as much as maybe depending on who the, who the uh, who the pitcher is. Yeah, I guess that makes sense because if if you have him, he's there for his bat. Uh, but know, there's a lot of questions to answer for the Yankees. Like we focus on their starting pitching a lot, but I feel like their infield is just as interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess Murphy. You know, based on our conversation, the places that might be interested in Carlos Santana would also be interesting for Murphy. Maybe more so because he's a little more. Well, I guess no. Santana can fake it at third in the same way Murphy can fake it at second. So, I mean, I yeah. guess the Rockies don't have a second baseman right now, so they could also bring in uh, Murphy as like Garrett Hampson or Brandon Rogers. That's I'm actually. <clears throat> I hope they do that. I want them to go young at one of those positions. I'm not going to veer us into Rockies talk this week. That's our show for this week. Uh, we're going to take the next week off for the holiday, and we'll be back the last week of November. This is the MLB.com Statcast podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>